Hi, my name is Lucy Jeffrey, and I beat the often path by selling bamboo socks that save endangered animals. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Now, this show is a play on words of off the beaten path. I seek out people who have done wildly unusual things, often helping the planet and themselves in the process to help us see the bigger picture in our lives and careers and help give you inspiration and give you the knowledge that, yes, it is possible to do something radically different than what you've been told. My guest today is Lucy Jeffrey, founder of Bear Kind. When the pandemic hit, Lucy did what any sane, rational, intelligent person would do. She quit her stable job and founded a bamboo sock company to help save animals around the world. No? Not everyone did that? You didn't do that? Huh. Well, Lucy Jeffrey did, and that's why she's not your typical person. In just a few years, her company saved hundreds of acres of rainforest, helped thousands of turtles, saved dozens of rhinos, and a whole lot more animals around the planet She's been able to do an enormous amount of good while building a company that has changed her personal life for the better. She's proof that when everybody else zigs, maybe you should zoink. So, here's the fascinating tale of Lucy Jeffrey. Welcome to the show, Lucy. Thank you so much for being here. Very cool already. Um, So I have to start out by saying that I have seen your uh, impact report for the last year. And it's insane. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and it's also really well designed. Who does all of your design work? Um, my team, who are amazing. So it's all in-house. So, um, yeah, Jess and Bushra, who started with me last year, they were, one's a student and one had literally just graduated. So, like, not too much experience in this sector and they've, they've started with me and they've just smashed it. Yeah, the design, you're not the first person to say the design work. Spectacular. It's I know, beautiful. It's, it's something yeah, that I, I could never do. Credit. I'm so in awe of those kinds of things because I don't have right? that skill at all and I recognize it. I'm able to see it. I'm not able to do it. I would give anything to I'm be able to just put together a PDF like yeah. that. But, <laughs> but it looks very cool. And it touches on uh, an interesting subject, which is that you have already, in a short amount of time, had a pretty sizable impact on the world and on animal preservation. So before we kind of deep dive into that side of your business, I'd love it if you could tell us who you are and what your mission is and how you came to be on this unusual path that you're on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, I'm currently living in London um, and my path is, yeah, left school, went to university, studied biology. Um, I actually ended up joining HSBC, so a huge bank. Um, I joined their graduate program after I left university um so pretty standard path to start with you know school uni grad scheme like it seemed like the normal thing to do um quite enjoyed it it was fine but it didn't kind of light any fires underneath me um I was with them for four years um doing various different roles and it was in two years into into um that career that I started my company Bear Kind um and yeah so I started it whilst I was still at work so handy to have the income (laughs) um whilst doing that and the the premise behind it was I wanted to start something that gave something back to the planet so I started by selling various different kind of sustainable goods so didn't start with the stocks that I'm on now but I had you know reusable straws recycled t-shirts that kind of thing and eventually landed on socks because I wanted to bring out a product that had this charity model so the the premise of the product is 10% of the profits from each pair of socks is donated to the animal on the sock. So every design is linked to a specific animal conservation charity. I've got 
I've got a couple of rescue charities now as well, but the most of them are uh, conservation charities. So, you know, I've got an orangutan stock and it donates to the orangutan foundation, same for turtles. And I've got a growing range now. Um, and I've, yeah, I've gone down that path of socks and I'm, I'm focused on that. Um, so yeah, I kind of was working for HSBC for two years whilst running the company on the side and then 2020 happens to everyone. And yeah, it, I actually shut the company down for a little bit during the pandemic, just because of, um, at the time my mum was actually doing my shipping for me. So my childhood bedroom was full of socks and boxes and all sorts. And, um, yeah, so during lockdown, um, in the UK, I, I shut it down cause I didn't want her going to the post office, um, and then I did a bit of a Hail Mary for Christmas. I was like, right, I'm going to go for it, um, put some money into marketing. Just, you know, it was a bit of a make or break moment for me. Like I was like, if it doesn't work, then fine. I've got a career that I can focus on. And it, it went, it started going really well again. It picked up, you know, e-commerce was starting to boom again as people couldn't go to physically go to the shops. And they were also wanting to support independent businesses. And yeah, so I actually ended up quitting my job at the end of 2020. I think the pandemic helped wow. with that because it was a bit of, bit of, well, anything can happen. Look at the world right now. So if I don't take the leap now, will I ever? Um, and I haven't looked back. Like I've just had just done over a year full time on the business, and it's been amazing. Like I've got a team of five now, um, and yeah, we're really growing it. You've seen the impact report. We had an amazing impact on the charities last year. Growing sock range. Um, it's been busy. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Congratulations on that. Thank you. That's not a story that people are expecting, right? The pandemic hits and you pivot into something even better. You take the yeah, moment yeah. when everybody's Quit panicking the most. <laughs> right. And there is some, perhaps some wisdom in that. Perhaps wisdom that when there are horrible moments, that there's always an opportunity. There's always something that somebody can do to capitalize. Um, whereas me, on the other hand, I just, you know, watched Netflix and slowly destroyed myself. But you didn't do that. <laughs> you did something uh, far I better. I did both. <laughs> oh, okay, you did both. To the U.S. office. Yeah, <laughs> oh, the U.S. office, of right. Yeah. Ah, yes. <laughs> the one that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's so funny. Um, but that's fabulous that you have done that. Uh, so congratulations on making that shift. And w what I Thank love you. about this story is that a lot of times, and I think people get so overwhelmed, and I'm definitely this way. You get so overwhelmed at thinking about big sweeping change. There are things that you want to fix in the world. And you kind of feel like if I can't fix everything overnight, then I'm a failure or something like that. But it's very funny that something as small as a pair of socks and something as small as 10%, those things don't seem like much from the outside, almost insignificant. And yet, from that, you have been able to have a pretty sizable impact. So if you wouldn't mind, could you sort of summarize the impact that you had in this last year? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. You you know, you go into it thinking, oh, 10% isn't that much. It's just a pair of socks. And that might be if you buy one pair of socks, but then I'm looking at, you know, everyone in the world, I want to buy my socks. Um, so 10% of that is a lot. Um, so yeah, from last year, um, you know, we've... It, We've kind of summarized the impact. We call it uh, our sock currency. So we've kind of translated our donations into what the socks actually do. So to give you an example, we know that for every four pairs of orangutan socks sold, we can save one acre of tropical forest for a year. Um, so we kind of translate it into this. So you know exactly what impact your socks are having. And with the orangutan socks and um, also we had some other kind of jungly socks. We had leopards and gorillas and things. We've, you know, we've protected, I think it was, 1200 acres in total um last year 
um, which is a huge amount of forest. Um, and that huge. was just on a few, pa- few, few pairs of socks. Um, and then another big one, this is a great number, is for our turtle socks. Um, we know the number of socks it takes to kind of rele- able, enable a turtle hatchling to be released on a beach in, in Indonesia. And we've allowed 4,300 baby turtles to kind of start their life, which is just ridiculous. That's madness. Um, yeah. So, and then there's just so many more animals out there. Um, you know, we've, we, I think we've got 21 different charities with us at the moment, but we're aiming to basically four times that this year, really go for it. Wow. That's so cool. And when you said that you went all in on the marketing side or you decided the make or break moment, what did you do in that moment? What did going all in mean? Yeah, so um, in the UK during the pandemic, they the government released like a, um, a few different types of loans to kind of help re- re-stimulate the economy and get more money into business again. And one of them was this bounce back loan that you could take out where for a year the government will pay the interest. So the idea is you've got this loan to help you. You don't have to worry about it for a year. So I took out a, a fairly small loan, actually. It was about £3,000. Um, you could take up to 50K. So it was, it was a small amount. And I just threw it all straight into Facebook ads. I was like, right, let's go for it. Um, and we had one particular ad and it was the orangutans actually that just smashed it did really really well like 10 times what we normally do Um, and I was like huh okay maybe I'm onto something Um, and it was just kind of enough of a confidence boost to allow me to just say okay there's there's something here like if I don't if I don't go all in quit my job and go for it full time um, then you know maybe I won't be able to grow this to, to what it could potentially be and is the official name of that loan the bounce back loan scheme? Do they put the scheme in the end there? Is it BBLS or? Yes, I... that's the one. B- yeah, yeah. BBLS, yeah. Does B-Bals, that have a different yeah. meaning in UK English? Because to me, that sounds so nefarious, like a loan scheme, you know, like some kind of shady thing. Oh, yeah. Like, like a, yeah, like a, a loan Like a pyramid scheme, like you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it feels um, very sketchy. No, I hadn't sketchy. thought of it like that. No, but I, one thing, coming from a banking background, banks love acronyms, so that was just as many letters BBLS, as possible, yeah, it? why not? Yeah. <laughs> it really rolls off the tongue, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> bounce back, got it, loan scheme, less less so. Uh, okay, so, <clears throat> but we start from, all right, this, this is very cool, there's a lot of cool things going on here. Um, so first of all, you had said you had a degree in biology, right? Or what? Mm. Okay, so your degree was in biology. Yeah. Uh how do you go from that to banking in the first place? Was that just the first job you could find or? <laughs> yeah, a bit of an accident, really. I just kind right. of fell into it. I, I knew I didn't actually want to carry on pursuing biology because it seemed like an either a path into kind of teaching or research. And at that point, I was like, I don't really fancy that. And I panicked a bit. I actually applied to do a master's at the same university. Um, and in doing so, I, I applied for like a finance master's because I was like, that broadens my horizons. I'll just do that. Um, so I was trying to just stay at university give myself another year to think about it um but in doing that I was like oh I should probably get some experience in finance so I did an internship at HSBC before my master's then after that they offered me the grad scheme to start the following year so I was like oh I don't need this master's so I actually sacked the master's off and went to New Zealand instead (laughs) which was way better (laughs) and that's another scheme Um, the grad scheme a lot of schemes another scheme yeah too many schemes (laughs) nothing can be trusted Okay, so you get involved in banking. And I think we all know the stereotypical things, but what was your experience of working for a corporate bank? Um, it was actually a lot different than I thought it would be to start with. Like I was in I was on the retail banking side of things. Everyone was 
really friendly like really I mean I joined I carried on after my internship because I just thought everyone was really nice and I was like I can see myself working there um so I actually quite enjoyed it I learned quite a lot and it was really good for my confidence and just kind of going getting into the working world and getting started um I actually met my partner who I'm with now at the bank so it was quite a nice, a nice experience really um yeah and then I think it started getting not worse but I started to notice the corporate side of it like how hard it is to do things you can't change anything you you have such a tiny impact you're a tiny cog in a massive machine um you know you could say oh I have this idea and everyone's like oh yeah but nothing never think never nothing ever really happens because there's so much red tape and it just gets more and more frustrating um and then you know you flip it and you look at starting your own company and I'm like I've got an idea I just do it it's it's so refreshing (laughs) put some money behind an ad and people respond to that ad and you're off just yeah and it's yeah I do think there's a part of it is you get that kind of instant gratification a little bit um but then actually in the long term there is a lot of work that needs to go into it to generate but you do see like if you want to change something you just change it and it's amazing that's so wonderful. Would you advise anybody to keep a job in the early years to have that overlap like you had for two years? I definitely helped because you're willing to take a few more risks, I think. Like I had an income, you know, I could pay to feed myself and live. Um, and it's it depends on your situation, I guess. I, I wouldn't have been able to do the company without that income from the bank. No way. Um, you know, I, I put I was happy to put a bit of savings into the company and go that way and know that I wouldn't necessarily get that money back. But it was OK because I could fall back on the bank and I was pretty well paid at the bank. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's a good way to go. The one thing I would say is there was an amazing difference when I left to how much I pushed the company forward when I was working on it full time, like it seems obvious, but the amount of time and energy that I was then able to apply was just like tenfold. It was insane. And the business really like did well from it. Um, So there's only so far you can take it doing both. I think there's at some point you're going to have to take the jump unless, unless doing both is just quite comfortable for you. Like if, if you really want to grow a business and take it like global, you're not going to be able to do both. Like there's going to come a, a bite point, I guess. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And yeah, that seems like a a great piece of advice for anybody who would be considering this. So you had this idea, Mm. you say, I want to create a a company, I want to give back, I have a general notion that I like to help, I I suppose, animals in general were your primary focus at that time. So you you thought, I'm going to try a range of eco products. Now, where did you source these products? How did you come up with the products themselves? When I first started, so the reusable straws was my first product. Um, and I just I got them from Alibaba, actually, which is the Chinese like marketplace. So you can find all kinds of products on there. So it wasn't the most sustainable way to start, I have to admit. And I actually quickly changed from that. I, I so I started by drop shipping. So for people that don't know, that's where you, you know, you have the products on your site, but you don't hold any stock. So as soon as someone orders, you actually then order directly from the supplier and they'll ship to the customer. So you don't hold any stock. It's quite risk, low risk because, you know, you, you only buy the product once someone has bought from you. Um, it's It was bad for a few reasons. The, I could, had no control of the packaging. So there was loads of plastic. It took weeks, literally weeks to arrive. So I very quickly moved away from that model. Um, as soon as I had like one or two people buy, I was like, great, I've got interest. I will invest in my own stock so I have more control over the packaging uh so I was like right cut out all the plastic the shipping can be like a couple of days 
Um, and so I just kind of started from there, started small, it was incremental and, and like, you know, you just got to start somewhere and then improve it. My first model of business was horrendous. Like the customer, you know, taking for the product to take weeks to arrive, that's an awful model. It's, you know, but it was a start and it got me an idea that I had traction and then I improved from there. That's great. We, did you start building your own custom products at some point? Yeah. Um, so the straws, I start, they started as unbranded. Then I started branding them. Um, and then the next products I went to were in like, were, were recycled t-shirts and tote bags and things like that. So they were custom branded, um, but they were kind of already, you know, you just go to a t-shirt supplier and say, this is the design I want. Um, the socks were the first ones that were more custom built, I guess. So I decided that I want to go into socks. Um, and I, I paid someone to do a like little turtle design for me. And I was like, right, just do me a like cartoony turtle design. I found a sock supplier. Just, I literally just Googled it, um, spoke to them about it. They loved the idea of, you know, I'm with the same supplier now. They're super supportive of what I'm doing. And yeah, I just, I bought out one design. I started with turtles and kind of floated it with my customers who were already in the kind of ecosphere. You know, they like the, the straws, they like the recycled tote bags, et cetera. So it was the right audience to test it with. And they loved those and said, you know, we want more animals. So, you know, I got designing more. <laughs> That's fantastic. And where's the factory now? I read it, but I've, it escapes me at the moment. Istanbul in Istanbul. Turkey. And there's something yeah. special about that factory, if I recall, right? Or it's a family-owned operation or there's yeah, something? Yeah, I think it's it's like third generation in the family. So um, I think it's been in like the same family for quite a long time um, from what I've read about them. But yeah, I, um, Anil, the person that I, I've had like this one point of contact from the very beginning, and he's just been like very supportive. And, you know, <laughs> it's either very good at sales or I do genuinely feel like that they're very invested in like my company and what I'm doing as well. Cause yeah. And having that relationship is, is key. Like you can't, if you have a bad supply relationship, it can really put a spanner in the works. That's, that's uh, makes so much sense. That makes so mm -hmm. much sense. And, and when it comes to bamboo, you decided to make socks from bamboo there, I think 85% bamboo. Was that a decision that you made consciously or was that something that you did based on research? Yeah, a bit of both. It was starting to be, become quite a popular thing. A lot of people, you know, were kind of backing bamboo socks and saying how good they are because they have a lot of um, good qualities for feet. So it's things like thermoregulation. So they keep your feet hot, warmer in winter and cooler in summer. And they're good at sweat wicking and things like that. So um, kind of a good environment to provide for your feet. And then the bamboo itself is quite a sustainable source from the, the plant itself you know it's very quick growing you know they don't they can chop it right down to the root without disturbing the roots um so and then it just kind of keeps growing back so a pretty sustainable source as well so um yeah it was it was a bit of a bit of research a bit of that it just seemed to be popping up and i guess i just jumped on the trend very cool yeah, it grows very fast. Have you heard that thing? It's kind of morbid, but I'll say it just because it popped into my head. Did you know that they used to torture people with bamboo, that they would literally slice a piece of bamboo at an angle and put it underneath somebody strapped down, and it grows so fast that it would grow through them? Can you imagine That's that? horrendous. That's I know, it's horrendous. horrible. It's a horrible <laughs> thing to <laughs> say. on a... marketing. <laughs> yeah, but the, it was a bamboo grows so fast it can kill somebody painful. I'm pretty people. sure that that's true. We have really taken a strong detour here. Yeah. <laughs> but... Bamboo, yes, it grows fast. That's the moral of that story. It grows fast. It's easy to replenish um, and has great properties for making socks. So one of the most interesting things, so it's four pairs of socks that you sell that can fund the protection of one 
acre of tropical forest for a whole year. So how does that actually work? That is so that's specifically for the orangutan socks. So okay. if we if we take them, yeah. So they're linked to a charity. So the orangutan socks support the orangutan foundation. And they have they through their programs, that is what they do. So, you know, they have a forest protection program. So, you know, either we'll go directly to them on their website and they'll tell us how much it costs to fund, you know, the protection of one acre. Or, you know, if I take our bees, bumblebee socks um, as another example. This is a bit more. So it takes 128 pairs of bumblebee socks to plant enough um, wildflower habitat for bees to cover a whole rugby pitch um, or a soccer field or whatever you guys I think we'll get it. it. <laughs> we'll piece it together. Yeah. <laughs> We're going with rugby pitch. Rugby pitch, yes. Um, yeah, so again, that's they have their you know, the Bumblebee Conservation Trust is who we support with the bee socks and they'll, you know, come to us and say, this is how much it costs to do X, Y, and Z. And we'll say, great, well, we know how much we donate for each pair of socks. So it takes this many of socks to do X, Y, and Z as well. That's so wonderful. So it all it's all relative. And a lot of people ra- uh, rallied behind the orangutan one. That was your first initial success. And what about that do you think made it do so much better than the other ads was it the rainforest preservation aspect or was it people just love orangutans more we've we've discussed this at length because it is and it does so much better than the other socks so looking at it last year we've got a fairly even spread of what sells but then orangutans is like four times everything else like it's they sell really really well and the only thing that we can come up with is that people just really love orangutans um because I, I don't think it's the just the color either. Like they're, they're so they're dark green and orange, which you know makes sense for you know forest orangutan. Um, but you know you, we've got other designs that I would say maybe are a bit better like designed. The orangutan was one of my first ones. I think I'd design it slightly differently if I was doing it now. But you know it works, so I'm not going to change it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Some yeah. things we just that's just the mysteries of the don't data universe. <laughs> you just put it out yeah. there and something comes back. But there is a lesson there. You don't know what people are going to respond to or why. And you try some things and something's going to come back and you double down on that thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that's pretty cool. That's the data-driven world we live in. Sometimes you don't have to ask why. But I think perhaps the coolest part about this story is that you were at a make-or-break moment. I love make-or-break moments because I'm so fascinated with them just as a concept. And especially when somebody knows that they have a fork in the road and they could go one way or the other way. I'm very interested in that moment. What made you decide to go for it rather than to quit? If it was really a coin toss, do you think it was 50-50 could have gone either way at that po- at point? I think so. And I look I think about this quite a lot because I think I, I'm really enjoying the the process and what I'm doing right now and what I'm building. And I, sometimes I sit back and be like I was actually quite close to not carrying this on. Like, you know, it's kind of scary to think how close I came. Um I think there's a few different things that aligned. So it's not as easy as saying like it was it was a coin toss because, you know, as we said, that bounce back loan scheme came into place. That helped. You know, I found um, the Facebook ads. I found a freelancer um, who was, you know, willing to jump on board quite quickly and help. And, and then that particular ad did pretty well. So, yeah, it was a few things aligned to like get me to that point but the actual decision for me to quit happened very quickly and I remember it well because it was my birthday at the end of November so I'd taken the day off work and I remember sitting down with my partner at breakfast and I I was literally just like oh I just I just want to (laughs) leave like I just 
I think I should. And he was like, you should do it. Just leave. And I was like, okay, I will. So I got a meeting with my manager literally the next day and I just quit. And like, so it happened very, very quickly when it actually happened. But I think, you know, it, you know, I'd I'd started the company two years ago. So obviously there'd been some kind of thought process, you know, ticking along in the back of my head that going, thinking, you know, maybe this could be full-time one day. It just, when it eventually happened, it seemed to kind of happen very quickly and almost impulsively, but um, no, there, there was some risk assessment going on there. <laughs> Today's episode of Beat the Often Path is brought to you by Captain's Carpatorium. We've got carp. Boy, do we got carp. Carp, carp, carp with a cherry on tarp. Come on down to Captain's Carpatorium. We don't sell carp or rent carp. The carp is for your viewing pleasure only. At Carpton's. I mean Captain's Carpatorium. <laughs> But there, there's a couple of factors, and I think on a meta level, that's so interesting because basically you're an advert, to borrow UK parlance, we would say an advertisement. Yeah. You're an advert for the bounce back loan scheme. You are a success yeah. story. You you could be in the papers for this is why this was important to have that. That's what right? I have been. I actually right. have been. We, we've Here's done an like example of somebody thing, who took yeah. it. And the funny part about it is, obviously, it's country-specific, but that such a relatively small amount could make that mm. difference. That's almost hilarious, if you think about it, that 3,000 pounds could be enough to make or break that difference in somebody's life, whether they go for it, save 1,000-plus acres of rainforest or not, save 4,000 turtles or not, 3,000 pounds. That's nothing. That's absolutely right. peanuts in the scheme of any bank's operation or any economy. And I think... It's just so fascinating that, that that's kind of true around the world. My, my stepsister, um, she was very into this stuff even before I was. She's a geologist and cares deeply about the planet. But she introduced me to the concept of microloans many years ago. Uh, she was in Patagonia or in a, somewhere in Argentina, I think. And, and it's amazing how a little loan of the right kind to the right person on a global scale can help. And in some places, that's just loaning somebody some chickens. Like yeah, a couple yeah. dollars worth of chickens, and that's enough to dramatically change their life because then they can use that and springboard. It seems like people just need a catalyst in some form that just helps them get to that next step because once you're off to the races, you're off. Once you're running, you're running. But without the support of a partner, without the support of that loan, could be a very different outcome. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you're right. It is a small amount of money. And I think the key thing is I probably wouldn't have spent my own money then i would not have put three thousand pounds of my own money into facebook um but because it was like almost like a you know well, it's three thousand pounds but it's free for a year and then i can start paying it back it was a no-brainer um and do you know what? i almost nearly didn't take up the loan either like they'd been out for a while like i'm you know fully aware of them i'm working in the bank right and it wasn't until my partner was more was like because he was actually working in this kind of like business loan like team was like you should probably look at taking one out like why would you not even if you don't use it it just sits there and you pay it back at the end of the the, the uh, term so it's literally like free money and i was right. like huh yeah maybe i just should and just take one out and just see how it goes <laughs> just go from there and the irony of it is is you could self-certify on the loans so it was the the point of it was you take 25 percent of your last year's 
incomes literally that's all I had I took in 12k the year before that like I was literally not doing hardly anything and so I was very honest and I said you know I'll take out 3k please it's 25% and I'm done a lot of other people lied (laughs) the banks weren't checking you could say how much I could have asked for more really but I did work for the bank so I probably shouldn't have lied about it so (laughs) that's true yeah here there was rampant abuse we had a similar sort of a program but it was abused like crazy extremely rich Lots people taking out yeah. two million dollars who didn't even need it at all and it's like okay that's that's great great thank you for that <laughs> yeah really appreciate that and meanwhile other people so many businesses even on the block that i live shut their doors permanently I know, so, it's yeah, horrendous. Yeah. very desperate time obviously um but that's not what happened to you so how has your day-to-day life changed now that you work for yourself versus for a bank Weirdly, like practically not too much. Because the thing is, when I when I first started and I quit, we were in lockdown, so nothing much changed. I was just working every <laughs> just working every day. Um, typing away. But on now, a computer. yeah, yeah, just carrying on on Zoom. You know. <laughs> Here we go again. Um, it's so for the for the good parts that have changed, way more flexible. You know, so I might have a friend who's like, oh, "I've got a day off today," and I'm like, "Great, let's do something." And I wouldn't normally have spent my holiday doing you know random flexible days off, like things like that. So, although we haven't travelled much yet, um, I'm, I'm sure that will that now come as like, things start to open up, and the plan is to be a bit more flexible um, with that. Um, interestingly, on the more negative side is I have taken way less holiday. I have ended up, we, we worked it out that I took about 10 days off last year. Um, and four of them were over Christmas where I actually didn't work. Like I was like, I shut everything down, no emails, nothing. The rest of them, I still worked. So technically I took four full-time holiday days last year. And I was like, that's not okay. Like I'll, I'll burn out quite quickly if I carry on doing that. So, um, because it's your baby, it's very easy to do that. Like, you know, from a practical point of view, I've got customers that I need to speak to. So I sometimes I can't log off. Um, but also it's like a mental thing that I do actually need to force myself to take that time because otherwise I'll burn out. Um, so that's almost it's an objective for me this year to take more holiday, which sounds like a good thing, but it's actually will be quite hard to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then, yeah, I completely understand. There's always something more that you could be doing. And when the only limit on your growth is what you personally do, then it's really hard to justify stopping because you think, but if I stayed, I could do this one more thing or I could exactly. achieve this yeah. next milestone, which, of course, is is an interesting thing. Um, what would you say that your typical day looks like now? Um, I usually get up and I like to work out. Um, I like to do that first thing where possible um, just because it sets me up for the day. Um I think in more normal time times, I'd have um, I'd go and do an exercise class like off peak. That's one of the benefits you can do stuff off peak. Um, and you know, for example, Good today, point. like uh, yeah, and it's smaller examples of like the flexibility is today. I woke up later and I was tired, so I didn't exercise. So I exercised at like twelve, like just in the middle of the day. And I don't think I would necessarily have done that in a corporate role. Um, just because <laughs> practical point of view, I will stay red and like in the face, like from a workout for quite a long time. So I just wouldn't have done professional calls like that. Um, whereas I'm just like, ah, oh, I don't care. Like I'm going to work out cause I need to, and then I'll carry on with my day. And, you know, if I'm, what I like about it is I might have a bad day as everyone does. And I'm just super unmotivated, super tired, 
you know, I'll just stop. I'll just be like, you know what? I don't need to be working right now. So I'll stop, take a break, exercise, go for a walk. And then I'll work in the evening. Um, and although a lot of these corporate companies say that they're, you know, flexible working, you can work what hours you want. It's in reality, especially in these big corporates, like at a bank, it's a bit judgy about what hours you're doing and when you're online and, and things like that. So I just, I'm really glad I'm out of that kind of culture um, and now I can just work whenever I want to. It just happens to be quite a lot at the moment, which is good. I have to ride with the motivation for it. Yes, exactly. As long as you feel like it. Do you notice on those days when you're not motivated, does it feel better? If you go work out, do you generally get the motivation for the second half of the day? Does it reset your brain? It does, yeah. I, I need to exercise every day. And like, I, I just really need to sweat and just kind of burn out, you know, let it all like lay on the on the mat there because I just I, I just I need that that's how I'm wired um and I think especially after the kind of like last couple of years we've had turning to exercise I've always been quite like an active person but for my mental health I've realized how important exercise is yeah yeah that's an interesting thing and, and it brings up the question of motivation in general especially a lot of people are discovering I have been working remotely for many years since before the pandemic. It's the nature of the line of work. I've always done digital marketing. So I've always been online pretty much since the internet existed. And I remember always telling people it's not all it's cracked up to be in the early years. People say, Oh, you, you work remotely. You have all this freedom. And I remember saying like, yeah, but there's a definite downside. And I feel like for years and years, nobody really believed me when I said that they thought I was just joking. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic hits and everybody's working remotely and suddenly everybody's going crazy and there that manifests itself in all kinds of ways. I mean, some people are just drinking throughout the day or some people are watching a game of Thrones all day and not working. And then people are realizing that first of all, sitting in one spot as nice of a spot as it may be by yourself with nobody looking over your shoulder, telling you to do something is challenging. It's inherently difficult mm. to do that. And um, also it's, it's, it's taxing. And I think people are finally starting to realize that that's the case because when nobody's telling you when to wake up, what makes you wake up at 7 a.m. versus 8 versus 9 versus 10? Nobody's going to care if you don't answer that email, but yet you kind of have this feeling of my business will suffer. So how have yeah. you seen motivation? Do you feel that you were always intrinsically motivated? Was it easy for you to set those kinds of regimens for yourself or was it something you struggled with? No, it was difficult. And I think I think anyone would find it difficult, but there's always going to be people with certain levels of self-discipline to kind of get through that, um, which I like to think I have, but it's definitely peaks and troughs. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I've got so far, right? But there's, yeah, absolute peaks and troughs. So, so when I first quit, I was on like an absolute high, like I hit the ground running and I was buzzing for like, and I, I burnt out quite quickly. Like it took about a month and I was like, wow, I've hit a wall. And then I was like, what have I done? <laughs> I don't know. What, what am I doing? I'm just like panicking. Staring and at your computer what, screen. Oh, yeah, God. just like, I, I can't, I can't I, touch a button right now. <laughs> yeah. Like just super burnt out. There. Just, yeah. So, and I started to realize a couple of things. So one, taking a break key two was i'd moved from this like um environment of like manager tells me to do something i do it well done or do it better type thing and it's obviously this kind of instant gratification and understanding of like great good job or not good job and you understand exactly where you're kind of going with it um and although maybe that's i mean not that mentally stimulating it's kind of our brains can just understand it and roll with it right. but in this scenario i was just kind of doing everything with no clear path so 
I found the best thing that I did to kind of counteract that, aside from taking some time off, um, was setting some clear objectives. Um, so kind of really sitting down and being like, well, where do I actually want to take this company and how am I going to get there? And then setting, you know, setting some quarterly objectives of what I actually want to achieve and then reviewing that. And it, just having that kind of structure in place allowed me to kind of work on it and be like, OK, well, I've actually ticked that off today and I know where I'm moving. You've got kind of like a ballpark of where you actually should be because you are the only one that is setting that kind of measure for yourself. Um, so as soon as I'd done that, I'd say I've actually been on a much better path with the motivation since then um but clearly still not taking enough time off off work i think i think that's going to be the next thing that i need to force myself sure. to do what might be an example of one of those early benchmarks that you set in the early days um i wonder if i have them i actually have them some of them still posters on my my radiator so if i look at um so quarter two so this would have been quarter two 2021 yeah so it looks like I was aiming for 29k revenue so like so that that gives you an example of like a high level objective so I've just said I want to aim for this revenue but then under that I will start putting into place like well how do I get to that revenue so it might be I want to contact 10 wholesalers a day um I want to put out one ad to hire someone you know that kind of thing so you kind of set those high level objectives and then it's actually right well how am I going to get there and I kind of put them into pillars so I've got marketing objectives I've got people hiring I've got um, you know logistics supplier um, sustainability and all that kind of thing and it was setting it out and I, I do think part of this has come from like my banking days where everything is like bucketed and you know there's governance and risk for everything so some good like organizational features have come from you know the corporate world and I've taken them through but um it's it's interesting I haven't actually looked at that in a while but it's it's just nice to even just look back on it and reflect on how different my objectives are for this year compared to last year yeah well along those lines what what has changed what has changed in your objectives from this year to last year um, we're just kind of like, we're just going much higher. So if I'm, if I'm looking at 29 K revenue for Q2 last year, our objective this year for revenue is a million pounds, <laughs> which I, yeah, a, yeah, like, yeah. Which I got to get the golf clap in there. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, yeah. I love it. So and we had a very good Christmas last year, yeah. which helped us kind of realize, okay, well, Christmas Christmas was like 50% of our revenue for the whole year. Um, and I was like, okay, well, we re- really are onto something. Yeah, yeah. Stuff especially stocking socks. with stockings, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And actually, this is the first time I've like spoken public- publicly about it. Like our team, there are objectives. I've told yeah. my mum. But I do, yeah, I, I haven't, I guess, said to anyone, yeah, we're going for a million. It sounds quite like big <laughs> but yeah big, i'm but excited achievable. but how fast things yeah. change how fast things it's change it's mad isn't it that's mad that i mean 2018 <laughs> doing this on the side folks two years pandemic hits it's just silly it's silly how quickly our whole reality can change when we latch on to that one right thing and it's also silly how fragile the seedling of a great idea is when you first plant it two right? things because that i'm taking it away from this either way. right exactly so fragile in the beginning but then once it starts growing, it's growing. It's amazing. Um, yeah. And I think going back to the motivation thing, to what degree are you motivated on a daily basis? 7 a.m. or you really don't feel like putting in the work. Are you motivated by the other objective that if I do this, I'm going to help save the rainforest. I'm going to save some turtles. I'm going to save some penguins. I'm going to save some rhinoceri. 
To what degree does that help you keep going? I think I think it's it's obviously always there, and I think of about it as the bigger picture of the company. But on a daily basis, like I, I don't think I necessarily have the connect with. I wake up and go, I will save X amount of orangutans today. I think maybe if I, you know, actually worked in the field with them, that would be more motivating. Right. But for me, it's more like I get up and I'm like, I'm going to be successful in business today, and I'm going to do that. But our, yeah, you know, our overarching objective is to save more animals, and we do that by selling more socks. Um, so yeah, I, I think because I'm enjoying the process and how exciting it is working for myself, that's that's what motivates me at the moment. Well, I wonder if that'll change as I kind of go through the the business journey. But it does raise an interesting point, and it's often been said that when people look at things like saving or investing, they tend to think of putting in giant lump sums or I need to just save a lot of money at one time. But it's been shown that when you kind of automate these things, if I can just have my bank put, let's say, a hundred pounds into a savings account every month and I don't have to think about it, that can add up over time. So there's a really powerful lesson here in sort of automating the good that you want to do in the world. So you set up your business structurally in a way that 10% was going to go to these things. Once you set up that consciously, it's not something that you have to think about on a day-to-day because you baked it into the business model itself. So now you just have to run your business and a byproduct of you being successful in your business is that all of these initiatives are growing. That's fantastic if you think about it. I love that. I've never thought about it like that before. That's really interesting. And I think you're completely right. Yeah, because, you know, we come together like, you know, the team will come together and we'll discuss what's going on. And we're not sitting there being like, well, we've saved this amount of penguins and this. We're, you know, we're kind of into the detail of like what's happening, what our priorities are. And, you know, we are running a business. But you're right. As a, I think, I mean, the impact report we discussed at the start was such an amazing process we went through because that is when we actually took the time to be like, this is the impact we've had. And it was quite an emotional journey, that one, because you're like, wow, like you actually take the time to sit down and look at your impact. And it's it's almost more meaningful in that way because you, you've been so busy doing everything in the year. You kind of like forget about it. You know, it's there because that's, you know, your objective to save more animals. But then once you actually sit back and reflect on it, you're like, yes, amazing. This is, you know, this is why we're doing it. That's that's wonderful. And there's such a powerful lesson about setting your thing up in the right way and with the right intentions at the outset. Because if yeah. you hadn't set it up that way, you could have had the same growth. You could have uh, the same revenue. You could have done all of the same thing. You could be paying yourself, your team, all of that. All that's great. But then you get to the end of the year and that other piece would be completely absent from this. And I think that's yeah. one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show was because I saw as a digital marketer, I get bombarded with the worst kind of adverts all the time. People just trying to make money. It's always get rich this, get rich that, double your money, 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 right? And I've seen so many things about drop shipping and all the Alibaba schemes, seen that everywhere. Mm. And it's always cheap, plastic, harmful crap. It's always, yeah. and, and, and also stuff that people don't need or that will quickly break just harming the world. And I've never seen any piece of that as being something desirable. Oh, I made 40K last month as an Amazon seller selling plastic straws, let's say, or the the, the non-eco-friendly equivalent of the products you've sold. And I just feel like that's so empty. But meanwhile, yeah. you get to focus on your business. And then at the end of the year, it's kind of great that you don't even have to think about it on day to day. But at the end of the year, you look back and then there's this whole mountain of other thing that you have in addition to the personal freedom or the flexibility that you have gained for yourself. How cool is that? Yeah, 
and it's incredibly fulfilling like it's uh, I just I just didn't have that in my old job like the the salary the salary was it was good you know it's what I lived off but it didn't excite me like it wasn't I, I know how some people are like yay payday but like I was just not interested in that and you know I want money to live on and have a good life but the fulfillment I get from building something that's my own and then looking back and being like wow like we did that guys like as you know we're a small team it's it's quite incredible and you know I'd, I'd recommend that feeling to anyone like if it's something you can go after um and it's it's also the powerful sentiment for you know you say your your background's in marketing that from from a marketing point of view it's very powerful like I, I could have started this company as a sock company with animal designs full stop Done. Yep. but I've decided yeah exactly and you know they, they would have sold their nice designs people like animals but the the power that comes from this 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 added donation and this you know celebrating what these charities are doing and talking about the species behind the sock um it just brings so much more emotion to it and we know that people buy with their emotions so um it's quite powerful from that point of view as well and quite clearly also great for pr as well and you know it's not the reason i started this it's not the reason i started the donation i didn't say right i'm going to donate to charity because it's great for pr but it's just an added thing that's come from it i mean look we're talking about this now because of that i think if it was just a sock company we wouldn't be having this conversation not with me you wouldn't be that's for sure (laughs) absolutely not now what am i (laughs) worth you know it doesn't matter much but but i i certainly wouldn't have sought you out if that weren't the case absolutely full stop no because it's that win-win-win that i'm after I'm after a bigger sense of purpose. I'm after a bigger mission. I'm after yeah, it's amazing, something yeah. larger than ourselves. And, you know, it's, it, there's another interesting phenomenon of human behavior. So obviously, if you put out Facebook ads and you told somebody, hey, donate $5 to the orangutans to save the rainforest. Just here's a charity buy link. Probably mm-hmm. not many people would do that. Some, but probably not very many. So in your experience, what is the value of having a product? So it's like you're getting socks. And we're going to put 10% of the profit into this. Do you feel that that is just a better way with human psychology to get people to inadvertently support charities or causes? I think so, because all these people want to, right? Like, no, not, not many people will be sitting there being like, I never want to donate to charity. Like, it's, it's not a conscious no. It's more of like a, you know, I just... It's almost like an avoidance. Like, we, don't, we can't physically donate to all the charities we ever see. Um... And so it's having this like thought process that that it's almost like an ego stroking thing because they 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 want to feel good they want, want to, to donate good. to charity right. yeah and they can and it's like they're getting a product as well so it's you know and every time they wear them it's a nice reminder um, and we see it's obviously very powerful at Christmas because it's a great gift um, you know especially you know you've got Uncle Bob who loves orangutans or rhinos or whatever it might be it's literally the perfect gift because it's you know everyone loves socks everyone wears socks and it's um and it's got that powerful message behind it that's quite an easy gifting project but at the same time quite thoughtful um so i think you're absolutely right yeah it's you know we wouldn't and from you know from a personal point of view i always say that there's no way i could have donated this amount of money to charity if it was just me personally so the impact is way bigger um, but yeah, you're right because we, you know, we we do get bombarded with all these charities that need our help, and it's it can be overwhelming because it's like we know, <laughs> but we can't help everyone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's great to be able to, you know, we've got quite a lot of charities that we're supporting, so it's nice to be able to do that. That's so true, and I think many charities either they're not aware or they are aware, but there's a lot of contradictions in a lot of models. I don't know if you've ever done this, but 
certainly here in the U.S., if you donate one time to many charities, you will get so much mail all the time. Big uh, stacks and stacks and stacks of mail constantly trying to get a donation from you. And I always feel like, guys, this, is this not defeating the purpose? Like how many hundreds of dollars? Surely you've wasted whatever money I gave you on postage. Yeah. Just end mail and all we of have these the inks and yeah. dyes. And I think for whatever reason, a lot of people just don't think about the totality of what they're doing or how it all fits. Like you said, the packaging, you know, you could have a sustainable sock, but if that's being shipped in harmful plastic, you're yeah. kind of sending mixed messages there. So mm. we have to kind of think about the yeah. total structure of everything. And we have to analyze every piece of what we're doing and try to just be a little more thoughtful and a little more intentional in every piece of that. Absolutely. Puzzle. Yeah, and I my hope is that more companies, you know, that there are companies out there doing similar things to me with this kind of 10% model. I want more companies to do this because I think it's totally achievable. Um, and because, I mean, it's clear that it's not very common yet because I will go to a charity who either does, has never heard of this kind of model or doesn't know how to work with the business and I kind of have to explain how it works. I even, um, I was looking for a koala charity in Australia and I got told no quite a few times actually. They were like, no, we, you know, we don't work with companies. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm trying to donate you money. Like, no, no, we don't work with companies. And I'm like, huh. I think there's there's something in this this hybrid charity business model. There's something there because, you know, consumerism is rampant. People spend billions, like trillions um, every year across the world. And imagine if 10% of that went to charity. <laughs> exactly, so right, I think exactly. If amazing, you just yeah. make a few tweaks, a few tweaks to uh, everyday actions. And that's, I've said it before and I will say it again. It's the little things that they add up. And I don't enjoy when people act as though they're individual decisions as it doesn't matter. You know, that all mm. these companies do things. There's so much single-use plastic, but that's Coca-Cola's fault. It's not my fault. I'm just going to keep drinking Coca-Cola. They're the ones who are responsible. I see that all the time today. Yeah. And it's still like, yes, but if everybody stopped drinking Coca-Cola tomorrow, they will change. They'll change yeah. instantly yeah. because they have to. The only reason that it works is because we all keep supporting this stuff. And sometimes we keep supporting it because there's no alternative. Mm. We have to do our part, I think. It's, I think, what's that saying? I think it's, they talk about it with like, if you're going vegan, it's, it's not about everyone going vegan perfectly. It's like, it's, ev it's about kind of um, like, no, if everyone did it imperfectly, it would be much better than the, the subsection of people doing it perfectly right. right now. Like if we all made that small change and we're a bit right. imperfect, but you know, we're making the effort, it would be much more of an impact than say that that small subset of people that do it absolutely perfectly. Right. Um, so it's, and, you know, and or being judged for not doing something absolutely perfectly. Yeah. Like, the, ju the judgment's hard. You ate chicken once. Uh, therefore, none of what you were saying about veganism matters. It's like, yeah. that's not yeah, literally true. Yeah. Yeah. That's and not that's literally the internet, true. right? right. <laughs> People are horrible. <laughs> but that does seem to be the, the trend. And again, it comes back to the small changes, 10% pair of socks, unlikely things, mm -hmm. things that I certainly would have never thought of. Never would have thought, hey, I'm going to start a business selling a sock and 10%. Again, <laughs> it seems too simple. It seems too easy. Exactly. Yeah. And I've had those doubts. Like, well, you know, it's, it's just socks. But I don't know, I guess the way I'm doing it is working. 
So I, I'd say if, if, you know, anyone out there listening who's, you know, had that too simple business idea, but just you should just do it because, I mean, I'm not the only sock company. I'm not the only company that's got this profit donation, uh, but I'm still doing well from it. So um, it's, yeah, it's easy to have those doubts that it's, yeah, it's, just, it's simple, it's easy. Um, but usually those ideas do the best. Sounds wonderful. And at this point, I know you might not be thinking five years out. Who knows what's going to happen in one year? But if you had something like a five-year goal or plan for yourself, what might it be? Um, well, definitely, we're very UK-based right now uh, with who we're selling to. So plan is for expansion. Um, Europe first. I want to do the States and Australia. Um, and I want to have more hybrid living. So my partner's Australian, so all his family's in Australia. So the plan eventually would be to kind of have this freedom to kind of be in between the two. I'd love to set up like, you know, basically the business model I've got here, but in Australia. So, you know, maybe we'll have a slightly different supplier um, and it's all set up and I have, because I've got a warehouse with with all my shipping and operations in the UK. So obviously to have that in Australia would be amazing. And there may be one in America and just have this kind of global network. But from a sock point of view, I, I literally want to put every animal in the world on a sock, which is a lot. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm starting to breach into these species that people haven't heard of. So one we're designing at the moment is something called the numbat. I don't know if you've heard of. I have not. Um, I've yeah. heard of a dad yeah, well, bat. Kind of... Sorry. What's a, what's a dad bat? That's a joke. That's a horrible. That's a dad joke. I'm sorry what's to you and joke? to the listeners. <laughs> a terrible uh, pun. All right. Anyways, I'll punish myself um, later for that. Yeah. So these little guys are an Australian species, and there's only 900 left of them in the wild. So they're incredibly, incredibly endangered. And yeah, they. I mean, if you if you Google them, they're like a little kind of like a tiny little kangaroo slash rat slash. They've got like little tiger stripes on them. They're incredible, but I, I'd never seen or heard of them before. And they're, they're one of the most endangered species in the world. And I was like, great, I'll put them on a sock. And it's starting to get into that like, well, actually, we're we're shedding light on species that people have never heard of. And that's what I want to start moving into, as well as having these more commonly known ones. So from getting started, you've sparked new ideas, new conversations, and things will evolve and continue to evolve in yeah. ways that you never could have imagined even two years ago, I'm guessing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't start with socks and now it's socks. So, I mean, in five years time, maybe it'll be something other than socks. I don't know. And that, I, and that Right now, I cannot see, what is it? What's the sound? I can't see the wood from the socks. So um, there's you know, socks everywhere. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, who knows? <laughs> it could be something different down the line. Well, it's a wonderful story. And I think anybody who's paying attention can learn a lot from it. I think so many people so. are in the situation that you were in a few years ago. I can't imagine how many people out there are feeling just like you were four years ago. Right, and yeah. And they have yeah. no idea Heaps. what could be in store for them four years from now. Yeah, it's exciting. I think that's, you know, a lot of people would be like adverse to this kind of change and it's nerve wracking. But I think once you make that leap and you just start something and, you know, it's easy to look at my journey and be like, wow, she's gone from this to quitting a job to to new, aiming for a million. But it didn't start that way. It started with like, I came up with a brand name and then I started a product and it was a horrible model. So I changed it. So it's, it's the tiny steps that you don't see that are actually really easy to take um, and then grow from there. I love it. I love every part of it. So again, thank you very much for sitting down as we approach the end of the hour. Thank you again for sitting with me and sharing that. So much inspiration there. Um, ah, I you. want to give you the closing word. So promote anything you want to promote. Let anybody know how they can support what you're doing or reach you. The floor yeah, is yours. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, so the best way to find me, my website is bearkind.co.uk. So that's B-A-R-E, kind. Um, And then Instagram is where we're shouting about stuff the most and the loudest. So that's just at bearkind on Instagram. I'm I'm on there all the time, sadly. So please come say hi. (laughs) Who isn't? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, again, I can't thank you enough. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great. With that, the official podcast is over. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you enjoy any of the episodes? If you do, help me grow the podcast by hitting that subscribe button, follow, subscribe, share on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, your podcast platform of choice to be up to date with the newest episodes. I release an episode every Friday and sometimes little bonus ones in between. So it would do me a whole lot of good if you would just go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And again, share this story with somebody who's been thinking about an idea but hasn't yet pulled the trigger. Hopefully her story can inspire you or someone you know to take action on that next step that's going to make the world a better place. I'm Ross Palmer. This is Beat the Often Path, and I will see you next Friday.